ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Has learning a musical instrument become something only for the wealthy? And how possible is it at your local school to provide music education, whether it be finding instruments through to finding music teachers? And does it really matter? Does music education matter? If most children aren't going to go on to become professional musicians, why is music education and learning to play an instrument important? Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host today, Megan Burslam, breakfast presenter at ABC Classic. Megan, why is learning an instrument important for all of us, not just those who can afford it, to have access to learning an instrument if we want to. How long do we have? <laughs> it's a very About big, 55 minutes. A very big question. Um, look, all sorts of reasons. The research has been there for such a long time, um, such a long time, and we continue to communicate about how important it is to not only learn an instrument, um, instrument being in the broader sense, including our own voices as an instrument uh, as well, but everything through to how it works well for our brain and how our brain develops. Learning, how it complements different types of learning, especially those connections between language and music. We process it in the same way. Our physical bodies, uh, everything from hand-eye coordination to how we use our bodies and how we uh, strengthen certain muscles to play different instruments. Uh, for me, a really big one is expression of self. So it's really important to, to uh, be involved in music in order to express ourselves yeah. and in order to communicate in in a way that's not with words and you know music does that so beautifully Sense and I of- wonder for young people if that's more important now than ever we know that for young people we're almost in the middle of a mental health crisis as a result of the last couple of years we saw some of the stats that were coming in from kids helpline we know how music makes us feel even if we're no good at playing it right mm. I'm a, I'm terrible at playing an instrument even though I've learnt guitar and I've learnt piano, I can't play either of them. But music makes me feel good. Well, this is the thing you, you can play. It's just that we often we often say that it's outcome. We have to reach a certain standard or we have to produce a piece of music at the end of that learning process. But it's not actually the case at all. Is that It's more uh, process-driven and what the process of learning music and engaging in music gives us rather yeah. than do you get to a part where you, you can maybe record something and someone says, oh, that sounds really good. It's, it's less about that um, kind of career outcome of becoming a professional musician and more about what it gives you when you're doing it. Are you worried that music education is falling to the wayside, especially for regional and rural Victoria? Oh, I, I don't know about falling to the wayside because I feel like in Australia we've never got to a place in the past where we can be really proud of wow. of, of collectively the music education that we're offering because in my opinion, we still don't value music education as we should. So I feel like we're constantly striving to get somewhere. And yes, in some places, in some communities, we're really getting there. And we we've we have these fantastic music initiatives across the country, across the state here. But in collectively in our country, I feel like yeah, we're still a long way to. to long way to go. This text, music is art. If we're connected to art, it's a connection to our souls. It's very important. So do you feel like music education is falling away? Maybe at your school, is your school struggling to find a music teacher? And is learning an instrument becoming a privilege? How do we make it more accessible? This is the Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunt and Megan Burslam with you. Of course, Megan, you would know her as the breakfast presenter on ABC Classic. And ABC Classic is celebrating their top 100 instruments at the moment. So we thought it's a perfect time to look at the importance of instruments and how we have access to those instruments, whether or not music education in school is something that's still important. When we think music education in school, right, what do we think? The recorder. <laughs> and we laugh at the recorder, but... But if we look beyond how terrible it sounds when, you know, little Johnny is trying to learn it next door, 
the fact is the recorder is cheap and it's accessible mm. and you don't need a lot of space. You don't need to live in a, a, a big house to be able to play it and probably most schools can afford to buy mm. some recorders. Absolutely. A plastic recorder will set you back, what, $10, something like that. Uh, and it's a beautiful instrument. I think if you if you had a collective of students learning the violin, it would sound equally as bad when they started playing the saxophone being the instrument that I would <laughs> say absolutely no way if I had a kid you're learning the saxophone for that beginner sound but we we have to start somewhere and and I think it's again it's not this we have to produce a nice sound or it has to sound a particular way but yeah I mean I'm so for the recorder uh, as a cheap instrument again something like the ukulele being a, a relatively cheap instrument as well but we forget as well that we've got a primary instrument in our bodies which is our voice we you can also use our bodies and body percussion to create music so again no cost associated with and if schools can't bring together instruments that's right you could look at a small choir and we'll get into this with our first guest in just a moment but then i wonder how much of that takes passion and dedication from a particular teacher so if you don't have a teacher that's really passionate about it is it something that the school or the class is going to focus on rebecca's called she's in south yarra hi rebecca Hi. Look, I'm so happy you've got this segment. It's amazing. I've got a 15-year-old daughter and she's um, learnt piano since she was about five and she also sings in her school choir but in an external choir as well. And music for her, I think it's the difference between a pretty unhappy teenager and one who is grounded. Like, she sings in the shower. It's just absolute joy to hear. And I think it's really sad that the, the... the state sector really doesn't have the resources to fund music, and it certainly doesn't prioritise them. Rebecca, so if you fr- like, are you a musical mind. family? Is this something that you encouraged your daughter to do because you had access to learning an instrument when you were growing yes. up? Yes, and look, I'm I'm no great musician, but I I had the chance to learn piano, and my mum played piano reasonably well, but just totally just for pleasure. Um, and she sang in choirs, and so we were always surrounded by music. Um, so we were very lucky. But, you know, if you just go to a state school and you don't have that kind of um, environment, I think a lot of kids are just missing out on something that is yeah. just so incredible. Yeah, Megan, would you would agree with us? Oh, totally. Uh, Rebecca, I, I feel this completely. Because music, when you're at, at that age, I mean, you were saying your daughter has learnt from age five through to 15, you know, a decade of, of engaging in music. And through that time, I'm sure she's explored all these um, ideas of self, who she is, and, and being able to express that through music is just so incredibly important. So... Yeah, yeah I, I really, I really kind of feel that. I mean, you, Rebecca, used the word "lucky" there, and it's a really that's how people feel. Yes, lucky to 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 engage in this. But um, this is something that I think we need to reframe. Or overall, is is it lucky for us to do this, or is it something that we should be doing? If it's not made available to you mm-hmm. at your school, and if you have to pay for it outside of school costs money, you know. Yeah. I know. I mean, my daughter's half-hour piano lesson costs 40 bucks. Mm. Right? So if you've got more than... That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And that's not even thinking about the actual instrument, if you want to purchase an instrument or hire an instrument, and the upkeep that that takes. You need to get it tuned. Do you need new strings for it? Do you, does it need to be serviced every six months or so? Do you need reeds? I mean, what are the associated costs with that as well? So, yeah, there are a lot of different things that factor. Maggie's called from the Murray. Hi, Maggie. Hello, hello. Welcome. I, I'm just, I'm just tuning up. We're a senior group that meet every week with our ukuleles, our guitars, our banjo, and we love it. Oh, you're tuning up. Give us a little strum, Maggie. How about that? That That's sounds amazing. great. How long have you been learning? Oh well, we're in about our third year I think and we do gigs around the district and we're the humdingers, the hummers and strummers. (laughs) What a great name. Hey Maggie, what does it mean to you to make music with other people? Oh well, we're just in a world of our own and um, not a lot of people do it but we're 12 or 13 that do and we love it. it, What what does it give you when, when you actually create something together? Does it give you a buzz? Oh, it gives us all a buzz and we feel like we're miles away from problems. 
I love that. And that's the, the other thing too, Maggie, that it shows is that you don't have to be school age. You can be any age and learn to start an instrument. This is from Anne in Bendigo. It says, Rochelle and Megan, both of my kids were offered the chance to play a musical instrument from grade three. My son chose trumpet, daughter flute. It cost a minimal fee for lessons and hire of the instrument. Both played until year 12. It helped with their confidence, their patience, their maths and their performance. All in a regional public school. In secondary school, there was a week-long music camp where many Bendigo schools all attended. It was a great experience and they still play in their adult life. I love that. Confidence, patience, maths and performance. Well, if you think about what a music student has to do as part of their learning is they have to be vulnerable. They have to give performances. They have to know about resilience and coming together. They have to know about uh, performance nerves and all sorts of things that are associated with um, learning an instrument, particularly in school streams where you give concerts and things like that. So I think absolutely those words just ring true is that we sometimes forget. We think we have to be good at creating a particular kind or sound of music, but what about the things that we actually learn about community building, our vulnerability, our sense of self, the list goes on. So is music education falling away at your school? Maybe you're a music teacher or you're struggling to find a music teacher. And when we look at cost of living at the moment, do you worry that maybe learning an instrument is something that you'll no longer be able to afford? And how do we change that? How do we make sure that it's affordable and accessible to everyone? This is the Conversation Hour. Importance of having access to an instrument. Rochelle Hunter, Megan Burslem with you. Megan, the breakfast presenter from ABC Classic. ABC Classic are counting down their top 100 instruments today. What's well, your top one? Oh, my top one. I think there would have to be the cello. I Yeah, I'm captaining team cello at the moment. Uh, for me, something happens to me <laughs> when I hear a cello. It's just the most sensational sound. But I'm also about uh, what we call voice percussion. So what we do with our voices, whistling, yodeling, uh, beatboxing, that oh, kind of thing. So I, I can't, can't whistle. Too, yeah, can't you? I actually can't whistle. You know, there's that, oh, everyone can whistle. No, I like just, like, hang on, I'll try like. <laughs> I actually... I wish I got that on video. Cannot whistle. We'll have to break this down later. I'm not sure what that <laughs> says about me. Mike's in, I think, in Sunshine, or are you in Berwick? Michael, morning. Hi, good morning. Um, so I'm a state government school teacher. I was fortunate, been fortunate enough to set up a program in the outer suburbs of Melbourne um, and just have had a really good time doing it. I come from the Catholic system, actually, or the like the private sector, and to your caller earlier who said that it's a real show, like state schools missed out, I think like there's some fantastic state schools with wonderful music programs and I'm trying to create that at my school. And um, sometimes with, you know, private schools and that sort of thing, like they, it's about the marketing, you know, the instruments on the front cover of the magazine, but having taught in the program for a long time, and being a bit frustrated by the quality of actual music education that happens in those schools. Like, it's not consistent, you know? Um, and so I've really enjoyed moving over to the state system, being fortunate enough to be given a um, program with a large amount of um, cash to set up the instruments the that, way that I would like. That's a real key thing, isn't it? A large amount of cash to throw around. But, Mike, what has actually worked for you? What, what has succeeded in developing this so that more people can access learning music? Well, I would, I would say I heard I heard the words, um, you know, saxophones and uh, sort of thrown around earlier for a bit, you know, it's it's just not practical, you know. What what are you looking? You've got to look at what's instant success. So obviously, keyboards and ukuleles and acoustic guitars are great because they're relatively affordable. They can be shared amongst students. So if you're looking, you know, it's great if everyone can have a guitar or a, or, a, or a keyboard but if they can't you can still buy half as much and then you can share and you don't have to worry about like with wind instruments I'm a trombone player myself so it takes a long time to develop that sound you want something that is going to be um, having some success in terms of its sound it still be hard for the students that's the yeah. whole point um yeah. I love that idea, though, of either sharing an instrument, and there was a text before that referred to renting an instrument. And I wonder, Megan, you know, are there good incentives there? Where, because a lot of the time it's about access, whether or not the school can afford to buy the instruments, let alone the individual in the private, you know, in their own homes. 
I mean, are there incentives? Are there philanthropists? Are there people that look at, okay, how do we ensure that schools get the instruments that they need or kids get the instruments that they need? Absolutely, but I think there could be a lot more. So I don't think there is uh, there is way more demand than there is supply in, in that area. And I, I think this comes down to, um, I guess, the school's uh, separate, uh, unique relationships with, with the communities around them and that outreach perhaps. But being a rural student, myself and and going to a state school in a in a rural area um this was something that was a constant uh that the music department had to constantly say why are we relevant please give us some more money we need this we need that these are the uh, costs associated with it these are the teaching fees associated with it um and our students can or cannot access based on their own personal circumstances. And I think in a state school system, if a student can't access a a fundamental core learning in the school like music based on their own um, socioeconomic position... What are we doing? Yeah, we're failing. Yeah. Dr. Anita Collins is an award-winning educator, researcher and author and we'll be, you'll be singing this tune all over, Anita. I guess first things first, do you feel like we're seeing a decline in music education that's being made available to secondary primary school students across the state? I think it's... Oh, it's... I hear what everyone's saying, um, which is about there are these pockets of absolutely amazing experiences for students and and it really does depend on the school that they're in. In many cases, it doesn't matter if it's regional, it doesn't matter if it's metropolitan. It's it's about what the school itself values and very much what the school leader, the principal of the school sort of understands the benefit of music education for every child as opposed to seeing it as an extension, you know, sort of experience or something that's only for those students who uh, show an interest to it. So I think it's not, it is declining, yes, if we look nationally and if we look across a state like Victoria, for example, um, but there is also amazing things happening. So it's, the word I often use for it is patchy. There's patches of brilliance and there's patches of of um, places where opportunity isn't offered and understanding of how important it is for every child is not really there. And I think those are the areas that we can work with. And a lot of these economic questions of, you know, cheaper instruments and easier ways to do it, I absolutely agree. But um, the benefit really comes from whatever the instrument is, having those students having an ongoing development on that instrument, practicing every week, having lessons every week in class and outside of class, learning in a group, all of these things are a combination which lead to that development of the student, not just as a, a musician, but as, you know, a student who can learn really, really well. And I think when we get down to it, that's what education is really all about, is helping students to learn how to learn. And music uh, learning gives them the fundamentals mm. neurologically to allow that to happen. And that's why it's important for every student. Can I ask a silly question? Uh, in the state school system from primary through to secondary, do most of them have a dedicated music teacher and music department? Or are there, like where the school I grew up and went to, you would have someone that'd be like, mm. oh, yeah, we'll sort of do that on the side. We're also the PE teacher and we're also, you know, the home yeah. ec teacher. Do we have dedicated music departments and teachers or is that something that, you know, it's just an add-on to another part of, you know, a teacher's day-to-day role? Yeah, it's it's a tricky one because it's actually different all around the country. But generally in... Um, the public school system, if we think of the primary school years, then it's actually the responsibility of the generalist teacher, the year four teacher, for example, to often deliver um, the music education curriculum that is part of what all students um, are entitled to. Some schools have music specialists that come, they, they might have a day in the school and then a day in another school. Some employ music specialists full time. Some schools are very large and have, you know, more than one specialist, for example. So it's a really big mixed bag. And there's also the other um, option, which is there's no music teachers available or they can't come in. So an external provider of music education comes to the school and provides some you know, sort of programs or experiences in music. So like I said, it's a really patchy mixed bag and it means that not every Australian child is getting the experience that they should get in music education. 
Anita, uh, you are one of the big group of extraordinary researchers who have been uh, communicating the benefits of learning music for so long in this country. Yeah. Is, there, is there a particular research or something that you've come across that, that schools, principals, communities respond to and think, aha, that's why we want music in schools or, or almost evidence that points a school in the direction of music education needing to be a fundamental component? Mm, yeah, there are. <laughs> um, there's the reason I laugh is because often they're the the, the one-liners mm-hmm. that sort of get people to sit up and listen and go, oh, okay, maybe we should think about this differently. And I absolutely agree. It's about thinking about music education in a different way. It absolutely is about teaching the art form, but it has so many other benefits that if not if every child's not getting an opportunity, then they're missing out on that. But the big one that I have seen people um, sit up and listen, honestly, is a huge study that was done in Canada. And I like that it, it's a Commonwealth country. We have similar education systems, so it's a bit comparable. There was an enormous study done and they followed 112,000 kids through their schooling from right from, say, our kindy level right up to their year 12. And then they looked at their academic achievement. And then they looked at the ones who studied music and didn't study music. And they even looked at the type of music uh, musical activities they did. But the big one-liner that gets people listening is that those students who studied music for um, around five years at some stage during their schooling were one year ahead in English, math and science. So the reason that gets people sitting up is because suddenly music education gets related to, you know, this really important preparing our students to go out into mm. the big world and having them doing really well as in the other areas that they expect them to. Yeah. There's yeah. been a lot of comparison to, to the importance of learning an instrument versus sport and the old age, you know, music mm-hmm. v sport. But there's an interesting text here. It says, as a full-time solo parent who struggles financially to support all my daughter's interests, everything from singing lessons to ballet and soccer, I find it interesting that I can access the Get Active Victoria government program that helps with soccer fees, yet it seems there's no equivalent in government funding to support the arts, specifically to learn an instrument. As a society, we seem to value sport much higher over the arts. Of course, I think children need sport and physical activity, yet the research shows the arts is just as important. Dr Anita Collins is with you. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt. Your co-host today, Megan Burstrom from ABC Classic. Let's have a chat to Andrea. Good morning. Hi, it's Andrea. Oh, Andrea, apologies. Welcome. Um, I'm a member of the band called the Moreland City Phoenix Project. We've just had our name recently changed to Marybeck, of course, with, with the change at Moreland City Council. But we provide um, free music um, learning to young children in the Moreland area. We're a community um, band. We've got our own um, music room and young kids um, outside of school can come along. They can have either individual instruction or they can join a big band. Um, it's free. They're provided with music, and we've had a number of young young children that have come along, um, nine, ten year olds, thirteen year olds, and a couple of them have gone on to study music full time at tertiary institution. Isn't that great? And is having that exposure as well. Lots of people have been texting in about community big bands. This text, it says, my dad has been a specialist music teacher for decades, working across three small primary schools. He tried to retire two years ago, but he was in such demand that he does still two days a week. He's always the kid's favourite teacher every year, as music is hard not to enjoy. He's a passionate teacher. And I guess just finally, Anita, you know, Megan and I were talking about this earlier. If you're in a smaller school or you're in a regional school and you're struggling to get teachers full stop, let alone someone that is a dedicated music teacher, you might need a teacher that teaches whatever else it is, you know, maths or science, that just happens to have a passion. You know, you you often need to rely on someone who has a love and a passion in order to keep a program up and running or to get the kids really involved. Is that still the case, do you think? I think it is the case. I'm a a little bit wary about it because there's a very big difference between being able to make music yourself and then being able to teach it. It's actually a quite, they're related skills, of course, but the skill of of teaching music to children in particular, you, you need to have training around that. Now, 
the best the best way to do it, I think, is to ha- find those people who are passionate about music, have a lot of personal music making experience themselves and then make use of one of the you know incredible professional learning opportunities that are available all over the state that um teachers can get involved with that can help them upskill in that that sort of separate but connected skill of how do you teach music just because you can make it or do it a bit like sport just because you can kick a football doesn't Doesn't mean mean you can coach someone else yeah, how to do that. So we need to understand that they are different skills and that there are lots of opportunities for teachers to learn those skills because we need those teachers in schools. We need their passion for sure, but we also need them to be highly skilled. And Anita, when we're training our teachers, are we giving them enough training as music specialists? I'm thinking primary teachers here who are generalist teachers. How many hours? Yeah. Ah, the interesting thing you're saying that we're about to release some research in uh, about 10 days, um, which we've looked at um, all of the the degrees all around the country and we've seen how much music, to, how much time they get to learn how to teach music. At the moment, nationally, they get during their four-year degree, they get eight hours. What? Eight hours of instruction. I yeah, thought it was 16 and I thought that was education. bad. Eight no, it's, hours. It's, it's, it's more than halved since the last time that we sort of uh, had a deep look at this. And what we have to remember is that's eight hours with someone who may never have learned a musical instrument themselves or sung in a choir or had very much exposure at all. So That's ridiculous, I have to say. Using, yeah, we are not giving them enough time to then roll into a curriculum, which is quite technical and quite difficult to deliver. And Unfortunately, this is not just in music education. This would be a very similar situation for all of the arts areas, drama, dance, all these different areas. So we really need to um, very wow. quickly look at what, how we're training our teachers and what's available for them. Surely that has to change. Anita, thank you so much for your time and for your dedication and passion in this. It's so important. Thank you. Dr. Anita Collins, award-winning educator, researcher and author, eight hours. Eight hours. It's, you know, especially that that has dropped because, you know, when we looked into this 17 hours, uh, we thought that's absurd. Eight hours dropped after, you know, the past few years of what we have experienced and fought uh, for the arts over the last few years. It's just, it's that, that to me is just gobsmacking. Seriously cannot keep up with all of the texts that are coming through. Please keep sending them through. Though We're trying to read out as many as we can. Quite a few questions, Megan, that are coming in for you around, I actually want my child to play a musical instrument and I'm trying to encourage it. How do you get a kid interested, right? Mm-hmm. So you're not saying go and practice your guitar or go and practice because there is that thing of you'll thank me for this later in life or maybe it's because you yourself didn't get the opportunity to learn an instrument. How do you get across to a small person that maybe is bored by learning an instrument that this is important well i feel like if they're bored there is something that has gone wrong in that process and that something that has gone wrong might be that they're playing an instrument that they're not connected with they're playing music they're not connected with or they're not quite able to find that key that connection and i would always suggest uh beginning with listening to music what music does your child want to listen to? What intrigues them? What gets them dancing and moving? What gets them singing? What are they singing in the shower in the morning? Uh, what what turns them on when they're watching television and there's an ad or something mm. that, like, this type of thing, pay attention to what your child wants to listen to and then get that reflected in their music experience and creating that themselves. Music education, why is it important? And do you have access to learning an instrument? <laughs> This is the conversation hour. <laughs> oh, when like we talk a scat man, scatting. <laughs> wow. When we talk about having access to a musical instrument, voice and scatting, well, that is one of them. But you're speaking about body percussion, mm. all sorts of things. But what I, this is something that you and I spoke about off air. When we look at, we mentioned the recorder, when we look at accessibility to musical instruments, how sort of stuck in the 70s are we in that? Are we thinking culturally 
mm-hmm. about musical instruments that are available. We started to look at languages that we learn and that, you know what, maybe Latin isn't the most appropriate language to learn. Maybe we should look at all different types of languages, including Auslan. Where are we at instrument-wise, do you think, culturally? Oh, culturally, we've got a long way to go, in, in my opinion. I think uh, music is a way that we connect with, with our culture, with our, uh, with our sense of self. I know that's something I've mentioned before, but especially, you know, music and ties with culture. We live in a country with the oldest continuing music culture in the world, an extraordinary uh, history of music making over tens of thousands of years. But I really do think that sounds and instruments bring us to, uh, you know, our community, our people, our country in different ways. So if, if we're saying to all students who are here in Australia, why don't you learn the trumpet? Why don't you learn the guitar? What about the erhu? What about the duduk? What about these instruments that are so important uh, to culture, to community, to identity? Uh, are we making room for these instruments in our schools, in our tertiary systems as well? I know there's a lot of students who struggle at a tertiary level when they want to qualify uh, and become a professional music maker. Can they study an instrument in a university. And when we look at the other things that music offers us, you know, we've thrown away words like confidence and patience, mm-hmm. uh, good for our mental health. You know, where does it come into opening up conversations and breaking down barriers for racism, for understanding another culture? We know food can do that and that just seems really frivolous, but it's true. It can break down all sorts of barriers. So if you gain an understanding of another fellow student through music, and learning their instrument, then that's a huge way forward. That could be something that's just sitting there. It absolutely is. And, and when it comes to music, you might think, well, there's a particular way of writing music. There's one way of reading music, and that's just not the case. <laughs> Countries around the world and cultures around the world just do it so differently. And the way that we express ourselves, it could be anything through from rhythms. If you think, you know, South American rhythms and the way that people communicate with their bodies and they dance mm. and they enjoy music, um, all the way through to how we write it, how we sing it, uh, the language that we use is, you know, we sing a lot of our music and language comes into that. So are we preserving languages through music? Uh, there is all, there's so many components. Um, this text, when I was at school, we had music for those who played an instrument and theories for those who didn't. We had a brass band and we weren't particularly good, but we loved it. Our favourite piece was the theme to Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> That's from Rob in Hayfield. Anthea's in Montrose. Good morning. Good morning. I could stand and talk to you for about three quarters of an hour on this, but I'm, I just wanted to mention both my boys did very early, um, you know, music to mu- movement to music and things like that. They learnt um, to play things like xylophones and whatever. Neither go, has gone on to do music, but my younger son developed perfect pitch. He now speaks fluent Mandarin. And I put it down to that because he has the ability to understand and hear the tones in Mandarin. And I put that down to his early music. All five of my grandchildren I have taken to the same sorts of classes. One's doing junior keys in kindergarten at the moment with with me. Um, They do, in the beginning of this program each week, Mm. they do things, sort of activities to music, like cross-body work. So it's all about developing the brain as well. It's amazing. It is absolutely amazing and, and developing the brain. And lots of people talking on text about that first exposure you have to a music lesson. Mine was at a group lesson on organ in brushes and brushes mm. no longer exists anymore. It's a, uh, a mainstream <laughs> music store. I love it. <laughs> Out the back at brushes. But Jennifer in Geelong says, and this is something else that we spoke about, it's actually easy to get an upright piano for free now. I just got one online the other day in the Buy Nothing group. It cost me $350 to get it delivered and 350 to get it tuned. I turned 60 this year. I started piano lessons after a 50-year gap. And we spoke about this off-air, didn't we? That that sort of moment where people were not sure what to do with pianos and pianos were being dotted all uh, around the streets even for people to play, but lots of them being given away for free. Well, I think this is a really important thing is to think about the community around you. And I, you know, I'm i going to say it, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening who have an instrument in the back of their cupboard that they haven't yeah. got out for 20 years and it's sitting there. Someone could be playing that instrument. So this idea of sharing and, and reaching out and saying, look, my child is interested in playing 
buying blah, whatever it might be, do you have something that we could use or hire or share or borrow for a period of time just to see if they're interested in playing it? So I think there's lots of opportunities for, for this type of collaboration in our community. Rachel Wheelie was formerly from an, an incredible, I guess, collective that would bring students from all around Australia together to learn a song. And it would be to learn a particular song over a couple of months and then every student that had learnt that song would sing it together at the same time all around wherever you were in Australia. It was called Music Counter Scene and every year it was on I would go down to Federation Square and I'd witness it and it was incredible and you'd have everyone from Harry Angus from you know Cat Empire to Marsha Hines to John Foreman and I would find myself, Megan, having to turn around because I would cry, right, to hear that many kids singing together and the passion that was there it would it would just overwhelm you it was just so incredible rachel that program is no longer up and running but when we talk about finding a way to access music cheaply freely making it available that program really was that wasn't it it ran from it was established in 2007 and um was a program that was funded by the federal government all the way up till the end of um 2020 so um you know it's run for a really long time and it really it was australia's largest national school music program um it was offered free to schools right across the country and hundreds and thousands of students were engaged in this program um, every year. And what what you've just talked about was the the sort of culmination of the program, which was the National Celebration Day, where schools from across the country would come together, exactly as you said, on the same day at the same time and sing the same song that they'd all learnt. And um, this would be broadcast live across the country so that students, wherever they were around Australia, could actually sort of see each other and feel that they were part of this one big dynamic group um, singing and performing together. So, yeah, there was a lot of joy. But um, what I was just going to say was that that event was the culmination of actually a program that really sought to address the inequity of um, the quality of music education being taught um, across schools throughout Australia. So on the one hand, you've got the private schools and the wealthier schools who have qualified music educators in there who are professionally trained, um, you know, teaching their students. And then you have other, other schools who are less privileged and more remotely located and things. Where Getting eight hours training at university. Yeah, just, just a There's a text here from Kate, and mm. I mean, Kate's raising something which actually, I, I think it's the complete opposite to what Kate's saying as to why we started this conversation. But anyhow, Kate says this discussion is steeped in white middle class privilege. There's not enough money to pay for primary education, teachers, classrooms, let alone music, music teachers, trumpets are rare instruments. In a perfect world, that would be lovely. But nothing's going to happen in Australia. We can't afford housing. We can't raise enough taxes to fund anything, let alone music lessons. Kate, I guess... We're on the same page. I guess that's exactly what we're saying is that it needs to be important but and it needs to be accessible to all. Rachel, do you hope just yeah. finally that another program, because that's what Music Countersin did, it made it it's accessible exactly what it did. to everyone. Yeah, it made it accessible. We, we provided all schools with a free music program, two terms worth of lessons, um, teaching videos, professional development for teachers, teacher training. And, and, you know, whilst the students really benefited from this, the teachers also benefited. And the calls and the, you know, responses that we got and the cry for help across Australia were mostly from teachers, teachers who said, you know, when I'm not trained to teach music, but I've got to get up in front of all these kids, I've got to sing, I can't read music, I don't sing in tune, I don't wow. have any training at all, and I'm nervous. Help. Rightly that's, so. <laughs> that's, yep. And that's where Music Countersin stepped in and provided all this um, this wonderful, you know, program that really helped those teachers. So, yes, it's very sad. The federal government ceased their funding in, in 2020. Um, we're extremely grateful for the funding we had from the federal government in all that time. But it's very sad that it was ceased in 2020. And... Um, it's sort of not due to any any real fault. It was just a, a change in the school funding model and a sort of decentralisation so that nowadays 
each state is responsible for funding its own education mm. program and music education program in its own state. I so that's it, the difficulty. It's really interesting how we keep talking about these kind of systematic changes. They're small changes, but there seem to be just so many of them over so many years that a little change mm. here, a little you know swap around of funding in this area, and all of a sudden we're seeing these huge gaps between how we value yeah. one particular kind of learning and how we value another kind of learning. Anita Collins was saying just before that people prick up their ears when it's just like, well, this helps with the English, the maths, the science um, learning. Mm. So therefore, yes, let's let's have music. Great. Um, and we see that this, there's this huge gap that develops. Yeah. So programs like Countersin are just That's so right. important. Rachel, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks very much. That's Rachel Wheely there talking about music counters in. And this text, I totally forgot about this, but I did it as well. It said, we did that in the 70s and the 80s too. We tuned into the ABC for the Let's Sing program. I loved it. And for years, even when I went to uni, I, w- I kept the Let's Sing books for whatever reason because oh, it was yeah. really easy if you were learning to play guitar I or whatever it was. Under yeah. the yeah. sea in an octopus's <laughs> garden. We, I mean, we did it, didn't we? And we collaborate. And then, and then as adults, we can share these experiences together. There's one text that has come in that says, one thing you're missing in this discussion is beyond simply mastering instruments, but music as a practice of social connection and communication. I think this is one thing we touched on really at the top of the hour is how important this is, not only uh, to say there's a particular outcome that we want you to reach. Um, And in this text, you mentioned Christopher Small's theory of musicking. And this is a really important word because musicking is the act of doing music. And it's musicking. Musicking, yeah, M M-U-S-I-C-I-K-I-N-G, musicking. And it's this whole idea, Christopher Small developed it, of of actually um, thinking about music as an action and thinking of doing music instead of this final product that we also think about. You know, it's not what, you know, what level can you get to? It's just the act of doing it. Just like you would say, um, there is no benefit from you going on a run or a daily walk or, um, you know, keeping your body fit and healthy in that way if you're not going to be a professional athlete. It's enjoying the journey, isn't mm. it? It's like a road trip. Good for us. Stop I mean, at the op yes. shops on the way. Right? We don't go for exactly. We don't go for a walk to be, you know, a, a, a professional walker. We we go for a walk to keep ourselves uh, happy and healthy. And and this is exactly the same thing for music. And how you're inspired by music and how you're exposed to it as well as coming through really strong. This is the conversation hour. Using whistling as an instrument, Rochelle Hunter, Megan Burslin with you, Megan, breakfast presenter at ABC Classic. They're celebrating their top 100 instruments. Whistling as an instrument, my pa was the best whistler. <laughs> right. Really? I obviously didn't get it what from happened? him. What <laughs> happened? That's it. It just uh, skipped. But he, you know people that just whistle and mm. how, and you know, we talk about whistling as an instrument. Mm. When you're around whistlers, you feel better, don't you? Oh, you absolutely do. Any expression of, of music making, if someone is singing, if someone is, you know, tapping along to something, it's it's, it's a beautiful engagement. It really is. Wendy says, it breaks my heart that my school is looking at cutting back year seven music for just one term to two periods a week from next year, half of what we currently have, and it's in favour for more literacy and numeracy. They're not recognising the fact that music is the is not the only subject that uses both sides of the brain. In music, we spend time developing the students' skills in literacy, English, math, science, history, their coordination, along with their creativity. If students don't develop their creativity, they will not be innovative. That's from Wendy. Let's bring in Jacinta Calabro and Tony Calabro. Tony is a local guitar teacher in Gippsland. He's been teaching guitar for 53 years. His daughter, Jacinta, is now a music therapist in Belgrave. A warm welcome to the two of you. Jacinta, let's start with you. What does a music therapist do? So we use music basically as a support um, to, to help people basically with a whole range of different needs. So it could be from mental health needs to communication needs, Um, We're using music as a therapy, so we're not looking at teaching people music necessarily, but we're looking to engage people in music so that they can use music in their everyday life um, to increase their quality of life, to improve their skills of daily living, um, that sort of thing. And how much of the work that you do now was inspired by growing up with your dad, who has, as we just said, has been teaching guitar to students for 53 years? Oh, 
A huge amount, an absolutely huge amount. I couldn't have even studied music therapy if I hadn't been learning guitar from a young age. I would not have got into the course. Um, and, and as well as living firsthand, you know, the how, how enriching music is in your life and how and how beneficial it is on so many levels. What benefit did you find when you were growing up, Jacinta, with, with music making and, and being involved in music, full stop? Oh, there are so many benefits. I think from just it develops your soul i think music really speaks to your soul so in terms of developing your sense of the aesthetic having a love for music for sound for feeling how it's it's so supportive if you're having a bad day how it can really help you celebrate Mm. the good days how it brings people together um certainly the discipline of learning an instrument was really useful as a life skill Mm-hmm. Um, healing, yeah. isn't it? It's yeah, it just really, it really healing. And even sometimes when you want to lean into if you are feeling sad and you, and sometimes music can give you the permission to cry and then you can move I mean, on. That's a and big thing is processing our own emotions. Of course it yeah. is. And a lot of that has come because of your dad, Tony Calabro. Tony, a warm welcome back to the Conversation Hour. You must be so proud listening to your daughter to now work in a sector where she teaches music as a form of therapy when you were raising your children, how important was it to have music and to have access to instruments in your home? Extremely important. I learnt uh, in the first four years of my professional career that children that were coming to me uh, to study music were improving in all areas, mathematics, English, confidence, and I thought my kids are not going to miss out on this. And uh, my wife and I made it a rule that our children would learn music from age four to 15, whether they liked it or not. But <laughs> They had to go to school whether they like it or not. They had to learn maths whether they like it or not. They had to learn English whether they like it or not. And I believe so passionately that music is so, so important that our kids weren't going to miss out and I have absolutely no regrets in doing it. And I think my three beautiful children feel the same. Now, uh, Tony, being in a, in a rural area, what, what's the importance of, of being a music teacher in a rural area? Do you feel a kind of intrinsically linked to, to community? Look, I, I certainly do. I mean, I, again, I'm very blessed that I started uh, at a young age uh, as, as a singer in a rock and roll band and I didn't start actually playing or teaching guitar until I was 21. So I already had a connection with the community. I was very blessed. I used to get a lot of publicity in our local paper so people knew my name pretty well. Mm-hmm. So it was easy for me to be able to start my business because I was well known. And I, you know, made sure that I gave 100% and, and, and uh, looked after my students and I've been very blessed all these years. And when you watch students, you know, maybe students that are going to go on to become professional musicians but they're, they're still there, Tony, and they're still learning guitar from you, you must have seen so many young people grow and change and some drop away and some stay with you. Have you formed good connections and relationships long-term with families? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, Jack Jones comes to mind. Um, he's probably my most famous student. Uh, I've been in touch with him just in the last few days. Oh. And, you know, I'm so proud of him. He Does was, he still uh, have the incredible hair? <laughs> <laughs> he, wears a, he wears a hat now. Does he? Okay. <laughs> I was always impressed by his long, flowing locks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, rem- I remember those videos. That's right. But we've been in touch recently because he's doing so much work in so many different areas. And recently he just did a, a show at the Opera House with the uh, Sydney Symphony Orchestra um, to do the Beatles songs. And I said to him, what a privilege it is for you to be singing with the Symphony or- Orchestra in Sydney. And what a privilege it is for me to have a student from our region and one of my students being involved in such a fantastic mm. act. And just quickly, a question to both of you to draw this hour to a close. I mean, you mentioned the word privilege there, Tony. Are you yep. concerned that music has become a privilege as opposed to just a right Look, and an access, you know, something that is should be freely available to all? Absolutely should be available to all and it can be available to all and I refuse to believe the argument that it's um, not affordable. I think that's absolute garbage because it depends on what level you're talking about. Sure, some people want to learn guitar or piano, it may be expensive to them. But as Megan said earlier, listening to music is not expensive. 
Mm. It is so accessible accessible to us through CDs or videos or YouTube, and it can be free of charge. And listening, I say to my students, listening is practice. There's a rub-off effect. Over time, if you listen to intelligent music, you listen to it enough, if you're then blessed enough to be able to afford an instrument, there's a rub-off effect and it affects the way you play. Oh, I can see why you've been teaching for 53 years, Jacinta. Totally loving this. <laughs> I'm totally loving it because when my music teachers used to say to me, like, you're your practice this week is to listen i used to say yes don't have to do my scales <laughs> it was the best thing ever uh tony one last very quick question is i always found um growing up I, i'm a kid from lakes entrance uh you know in your area and to me music teachers they were also like a life coach oh you know yeah. that the, yeah. the connection and it, do you find that as well with your students Oh, absolutely. Look, some of the emails and texts that I get from students that I taught 25 years ago or 50 years ago just reduced me to tears. In fact, mm-hmm. Jacinta recently sent me an email from a, a friend of hers that I used to teach music appreciation to at St Vincent's Primary School in the 80s. Now, that child is now... 51 or whatever and she sent me this email and I remember the heading was Jacinta said dad sit down this is going to make you cry (laughs) oh Tony you're the best you really are thank you so much and just finally Jacinta Calabro I mean you can see where your passion comes from having you know your dad Tony and listening to him you can see how easily it would rub off are you worried music is becoming too much of a privilege I feel like from my perspective, a lot of our clients are accessing our music therapy clinic through the NDIS. So certainly coming from that perspective, you know, it it isn't necessarily equitable even within NDIS just because there's a lot of um, misunderstanding about what music therapy is and what it can offer clients. So it's taking a different slant on it, I know, um, but I think for a lot of people in need where music therapy could really be Mm -hmm. so beneficial, they're not getting the access to music that that you know, that they really need. You don't need to be a musician to access music therapy or to benefit from music. So I've certainly got that passion yeah. from, from Dad. Yeah. And I, I am a very strong advocate too for people having access to music therapy, whether it is free, whether it is through, um, you know, paid lessons, whether it's through NDIS. Um, I think there's more we can do in that space. Jacinta Calabro, thank you so much for the work that you do. I sort of feel like I want to hang out with you guys and spend Christmas. I feel yeah, like me Christmas too. Would be really <laughs> We're going to all have a sing around the piano for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Thank you so much, Jacinta and thank Tony you. Calabro. We've started something, Megan. People want us to bring back Let's Sing. Lots of people have still got the books. People are like, yes, yes come on, do ABC, it. let's oh, do it. It's so good, isn't it? Look, at, at the moment over on ABC Classic, we're right in the middle of our campaign period. Um, we want to know what your favourite instrument is. And I love the stories that have come out of this because we all have a connection with an instrument. We all have, you know, something that we played or someone we love played or something that we saw. Uh, and that's just that's just wonderful. So at the moment, we want you to vote for your favourite instrument. If you head to the website, abc.net.au slash classic, I'll say that again, abc.net.au slash classic, uh, not only can you vote for your favourite instrument, we actually get to vote for 10, but there's an amazing resource there. There are hundreds and hundreds of instruments to explore, all with audio examples. Um, so we were just saying, you, you know, we're limiting at the moment in our maybe school programs what kind of instruments we learn, but there's just, it's a whole world of instruments out there that are just fabulous and fantastic in every way. So... I think it's such a great... And we're talking about having access. Jump onto ABC Classic and you can get inspired there. Megan Burslin, thank you so much. you want to come back and do more of this? Yeah, I love it. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. Take care and we'll speak to you soon.